Hi, this is Candy O'Terry, and welcome to the story behind her success. In just about a minute, you're going to meet Molly. That's not her real name. She asked me to keep her identity a secret because she's working underground to free people stuck behind enemy lines in Afghanistan. Molly is an army wife. She's a mother who has spent the last few weeks trying to get our allies, their families, women and children out of the country before they are slaughtered. And I'm not exaggerating here. No matter what your politics are, this is a humanitarian crisis. And many news outlets are ignoring this story, and I'm really not sure why. But the truth is, as I am speaking to you right now, acts of violence are being perpetrated by the Taliban. Yes, they are going door to door. Yes, they are executing men, women, and children. And yes, Women under Taliban rule have no rights. And yes, these men take child brides. I know this to be true because today's guest has heard the stories of desperate people firsthand with her own ears. She's a truth teller, and I believe her. I've spent my entire career celebrating the stories of women doing great things with their lives, and I cannot turn a blind eye to the women and the girls of Afghanistan. And I hope you won't either. When I spoke to Molly, she hadn't slept in days, but she made time for me and this interview. As Americans, we hold these words very dear. No one left behind. For our military, this is a code of honor. No man, no woman, no child, no ally left behind. I started out by asking Molly to explain the role of Afghan interpreters, the role they've played for our troops in this 20-year war. The interpreters that served with our husbands, wives, other family members overseas really played a critical role in keeping our service members safe and alive to come home to us. These are people in Afghanistan who are native to the country, who are English speakers and were embedded with our military units as they traveled around the country on various missions and provided translation services between our service members and the people on the ground to help keep them safe and to keep them informed. I found a couple of interpreters who had written some articles about their experiences, and one of them said, quote, they keep track of us. He's talking about the Taliban, and they don't shoot us like they do Afghan soldiers. If they catch me, they will behead me. And so many of these interpreters have been left behind. And right away, I know there are two organizations, Molly, that you want to ask our listeners to support in this interview. Yes, we are looking for support for organizations such as Evacuate Our Allies or another organization called No One Left Behind that is giving attention to trying to get out these interpreters who served alongside our service members and are at an elevated level of risk from the Taliban now that we have withdrawn from the country. You're in touch daily with people on the ground in Afghanistan. What are your contacts telling you about what things are really like since that last plane left on August 31st? Our people, our interpreters that are over there are terrified. They are trying to lay low as the Taliban goes door to door, checking for U.S. affiliations and executing people 
that have helped us. The Taliban has set up numerous checkpoints throughout the city. So even in the final days before the U.S. withdrew to even get up to the airport to try to get out of the country, people had to pass through numerous Taliban checkpoints safely under constant threat of violence to even have a chance to get out. The people that have been left behind, they're trying to stay safe and they're hoping that there will still be some means of getting them out because otherwise they have no hope. You are a military wife. Can you tell us how many tours your husband served and what these interpreters meant to him personally? My husband has served multiple tours. He did two in Iraq and two in Afghanistan. And I actually first became involved with this work because one of his interpreters reached out to us a few weeks ago for help in getting his family out. And to give you an idea of the threat that these interpreters are under, my husband's interpreter actually paid a human smuggler to get him out of the country years ago because he was under such direct threat from the Taliban. So he made it out of the country by paying a smuggler $15,000 to basically save his life and get him out of Afghanistan. But his parents and his siblings are still in the country and under constant threat. The interpreter's father has already been shot by the Taliban because they came looking for the son and couldn't find him and were so aggravated that he had made it out that they shot his father. Thankfully, his father survived, but this is the whole family is under threat. It's not just the interpreter themselves or just their spouse or their children. It extends to their parents. It extends to their siblings. The Taliban also kidnapped one of his brothers who he has not seen nor heard from in years. So when we look at evacuating these interpreters, you're not just evacuating one or two people. Really, it extends to parents and siblings because the Taliban is just ruthless in who they go after. This is a very, very different culture. Sharia law is based on the Quran, which is at the center of the teachings of the Islamic faith. But the interpretation of Sharia law is nuanced according to the culture and according to the customs. And the Taliban takes it to a total extreme. I've also read that they consider those who are working with or who have already worked with the Afghan government organizations or those who worked with U.S. forces, they see them as an enemy. They never compromise with them. They will not forgive them. And they slaughter them cruelly and brutally. Do you agree? I do agree. They are already killing women over there who have worked in government positions where it wasn't so much that they even directly were liaisons with our service members, but just had the nerve to be empowered women that worked as police officers or in other positions of government. Women in particular are at risk from the Taliban, and we've seen that firsthand. It's just absolutely heartbreaking. There is no protection. There is no deference for women in all of this. We have uh, you know, been on the phone with uh, pregnant women who have been beaten by the Taliban, and we've heard that firsthand. We have been on the phone with a whole family that was trying to get into the airport, and the entire family was beaten bloody by the Taliban, to include a woman holding her six-month-old baby in her arms. The six-month-old baby was wounded and needed medical attention at the airport. We have other groups of 
women that were all shot to death by the Taliban before we got to them. The youngest little girl that was killed was two years old. There's no protection for women or girls. As a woman in the United States, you know, with the privileges that we have, and as I sit there and look at my children, I just, I can't imagine living in a world like that. And it just breaks your heart and makes you feel so desperate to help these folks. What do you want our listeners to do, Molly, when they hear these stories? Our biggest call to action is for people to reach out to their local elected officials to keep attention on this issue. We know that there are so many big stories in the news right now that affect people across the country, whether it's COVID, whether it's hurricanes or other natural disasters. We know that there's a portion of the country that doesn't have the same direct attachment and insight into this refugee crisis in Afghanistan. But please keep this in the front of your mind, because if you support our military and you're thankful that our service members came home to us, it's because of the bravery of the people that we are now trying to save. They deserve to be remembered. They deserve to be kept in the front of our hearts and minds. And we have to let our elected officials know that this is critically important to us and that we value our allies. It's not easy to be a military wife. Tell us what it was like for you and for your family when your husband was deployed. It has been very challenging to get through deployments without my spouse. My spouse and I have had four children all together. I've given birth during a deployment. I've had my husband deploy two months after having a baby. There's an immense strain that goes on the family when your spouse is away. But we do it in support of our service members because we understand the importance of the work that we are doing. And so it really is a higher calling for those that go overseas and for the spouses at home too, because many of us have given up our careers in order to follow our spouses around the country, moving every couple of years. Our kids pay the price too, because they change schools every couple of years or constantly having to make new friends. And so it does put a strain on the family. But when you believe in the calling to serve others, it's it's something that the whole family gets behind. You know, you just said the calling to serve others. And I know that when you first got started in this rescue effort a couple of weeks ago, never underestimate the power of spouses when they get together and they want to make something happen. And that's how you started to get involved, right? When my husband's interpreter first contacted us, I had no idea how to go about helping him. We heard in the news what was happening in Afghanistan, but all of the branches of the United States military are vast, and we don't always know the details of what is going on in every effort. So there are groups of military spouses that you know get together and can consult each other on various questions, whether you're moving to a new location and you need to find the best pediatrician or the best hairdresser for blonde highlights that aren't brassy <laughs> or you know dentist for your kids. We talk about all of these things and we support each other. And so when I had questions about how to best support my husband's interpreter, I turned to these military spouse groups and I thought, surely some of these wives 
know what their husbands are up to, might have more information about this, might be attached to this effort more directly than we are. And so that's how a number of us spouses first became connected. And then we gathered more information. And then we started leveraging our own personal connections from, you know, family members who are politically connected, from uh, co-workers in our previous life who had various connections that all came together to build this amazing network of volunteers to just family by family help get Afghans out of the country. Let's talk a little bit, Molly, about veterans and suicide. 775,000 U.S. service members deployed to Afghanistan over those 20 years. The longest war in our nation's history. And right now, suicide hotlines are the busiest they've ever been. Because some of these vets feel as if the colleagues that they fought side by side with died for nothing. They lost their arm, their leg. They have a head wound for nothing. What do you say to these veterans? Because I know you're surrounded by military all the time. What do you say to them about their sacrifices in Afghanistan? I think the best thing that I can say to service members who are struggling with the withdrawal from Afghanistan uh, really is to share my husband's viewpoint on it. One of the reasons why I fell in love with my husband is because he is one of the most optimistic people that I know. And when I asked him about his feelings about the withdrawal, My husband chooses to remain positive about the time that we spent in Afghanistan because at the forefront of it all, he says, for the time that we were over there, there wasn't another 9-11. There wasn't another large-scale attack. And if nothing else, we can say that we accomplished that. We were over in Afghanistan for so long that there are now women who are fully educated, who started as girls and went all the way up through the education system and are fully educated now for the 20 years that we spent over there. So for my husband, he chooses to look at the positive and to focus on that in light of feelings of negativity or struggle that others might be dealing with. And this isn't to say that my husband didn't lose people or see horrible things, But in staying focused on the positive and the overall good that was done for so many people in that nation, it helps to keep him afloat. And I hope that that message can pass to others as well. You know, there's another woman who's been on our program. She is the widow and the wife of a Green Beret. Her name is Krista Anderson. And I had a little chat with her prior to talking to you today. And I asked her if she would offer her thoughts on this. And her first husband's name was Mike. And he's the one who was killed in Afghanistan. And one of his buddies from his Green Beret group fell in love with her a few years later. And she ended up marrying him. And she said, quote, Mike's sacrifice is and always will be worth it. Gus, her husband now, is grateful for his service and even more grateful to be home with his family. She says the impact we have had in the last 20 years is worth it. And finally, she said, today never devalues yesterday. I just have goosebumps hearing that. And I think it makes me feel choked up because I I can imagine her sacrifice all too easily in losing her spouse. And I think if a widow can say that and see that truth, then the rest of us owe it to her to respect that and try to understand that ourselves and to lift these service members up as they struggle with mixed emotions about 
the withdrawal. This is emotional, Molly, obviously. Hard work. Day and night, I know you haven't slept in weeks and you've got kids to take care of. Sometimes I'm imagining you're successful in these rescues, and sometimes maybe you're not. How do you stay strong through this? I think a personal experience that my husband and I went through has helped me to keep things in perspective. We had the very sad experience of losing one of our own children to illness a few years back. And when you lose a child and you still have other children to raise, you find a way to put your grief and your struggles in a box so that you can carry on when you need to carry on. And you learn to only unpack that box when you have the time and space to do so. And so in the string of many sleepless days and weeks that I've had working around the clock on these rescue efforts for the folks in Afghanistan, I've kept that perspective of keeping the struggles in a box and knowing that I will have time to open that box later but that if I open that box now, I won't be able to keep doing what I'm doing. Because when you are trying to help get a family out of the country and they have a three-month-old baby in their arms and you just can't find a way to get them through the airport, it's really hard to keep your emotions in a box. But there are other people that you have to save too and you have to keep going. And it matters that you keep going, no matter how discouraged you get. And even if you fail in the end. It matters to people that you keep going and that you keep trying for as long as you can. Is there a code of honor? Is there a golden rule that has followed you from childhood to where you are today? There is a golden rule that has followed me to where I am today. And that is that you give if you're able to give and you don't ask questions and you don't judge. You give and you give freely. And that is something that my parents instilled in me from a very young age. My father was a banker and he worked in the city and on take your daughter to work day, I would go with him. We'd ride the train into Boston and I would walk with him from the train station to his office building. And we would pass numerous homeless people that would have their cups out looking for money And my father always made sure that he had money in his pocket for those homeless people. And he was on a first name basis with them. They were his regulars. And anytime I was with him in the city, he instilled the value in me that you give if you can. And you don't ask what people do with the money. It's not our place to judge. You just you be thankful that you're in a position to help and you help. There must be so many lessons here for you, Molly. What have you learned along the way about life, about war, about loss, because you see it through the lens of being an army wife? What have you learned about all of that that you could share with us today? I think that there's no rhyme or reason to loss. It it can come in the most unexpected places. It doesn't matter who you are. Uh, We've learned that through the people that we've lost in war. We've learned that through, you know, losing our own daughter. Loss doesn't discriminate. And so we can not sit back and think that we're above it. You never know when it will come to your door. So you just have to live your life in a way that you're comfortable with and that you can be at peace with so that 
you're always prepared and you don't have regrets. And so that's why I think we continue to work so hard to help others in Afghanistan, even though the official withdrawal of the United States is over and it's become much, much harder to get people out of the country. We have to keep trying because I wouldn't have peace knowing that we just stopped. We have to keep trying. We have to keep attention on this. This is a program that is about and by women. So as we finish up our interview together, I want to circle back to our women sisters in Afghanistan right now. Just days ago, women got together in Kabul and they marched toward the presidential palace to protest the loss of their rights because they want to continue to attend university. They want to hold on to their non-traditional jobs. And they were tear gassed and they were beaten by the Taliban who used their brand new U.S. rifles that we had left behind. How ironic is that? Hit over the head by them. Molly, what can you say to our listeners about the urgency of people calling their representatives, writing emails about the urgency of the situation in Afghanistan around interpreters, around women and their rights? What do you say? This is truly a matter of life and death. And I think it is hard for people in the United States with the safety and the laws and the protections that we have here to understand the immense bravery it took for those women to go forward and to protest like that when the Taliban is going door to door all around them and gruesomely killing their neighbors. I just can't even imagine the bravery and the risk they took in doing that. These people are under direct threat. I am sure that the Taliban noted the faces and identities of those women in the crowd. And I pray I pray that they escape retaliation. I pray that they lay low long enough for us to get them out. And let me add, for these women that we are trying to protect, for these girls that we helped educate, for these interpreters who served as our allies and brought our spouses home to us, if you support our military, there is going to be a bigger mental health crisis on our hands. You hear about our service members having mixed feelings about the withdrawal from Afghanistan, and they do. But in my work trying to help save people out of Afghanistan, I cannot express to you the anguish I have heard from our service members who cannot get their interpreters out of the country. These are our service members telling me that they would take a bullet for their interpreters and they can't get them out. These men feel anguish. Our service members feel anguish about this. They are not sleeping. They are getting sick, trying every avenue possible. They're calling their elected officials, but it's not enough. We need more people to help apply pressure. We need to do this for our service members. And we need to do this for the interpreters and the people of Afghanistan that helped us. A couple of days ago, Molly, I did a post about how upset I was about what's going on in Afghanistan. And let me share with our listeners that we're a military family, too. And I had hardly any likes to this post. I think people think, oh, we withdrew and it's all over with. Folks, you're listening to Molly who's interviewing today anonymously so that she can protect some of the people that she's trying to rescue. And by the way, Molly has single-handedly, with the friends that she's put together, over 100 rescues so far. Is that not true? 
Yes, there have been so many families with 11, 12 family members each that we've gotten out that are now sending me photos as they make their way back into the United States. They're all sending me photos and thank you letters. And these families all have little children with them. But yes, we've lost count because you don't have time to rest on your laurels. You just have to keep going and try to help more people. But yes, we've helped at least 100 people. What I'm trying to say is it's not over, everybody, and we still need to help. So the organizations that Molly would like us to donate to, go ahead with those. Evacuate Our Allies and No One Left Behind are two nonprofits that are on the ground and still helping in any way possible to get our allies out of the country. Molly, final question for you. At this moment in your life, what does success mean to you? At this moment in my life, Uh, Success is pretty clearly defined as just getting more people out of Afghanistan. If I can do that, then I can rest easy. And if I can't do that, I don't know how I will make peace with this because no matter how many people we've gotten out so far, it's not enough. It isn't. And so please, I would just ask everyone listening, help us find more success. It is getting harder and harder to get people out of the country. Help us be successful. Please keep attention on this issue. Molly, thank you so much for joining us today on the story behind her success. Thank you. As this interview is being launched, rescue efforts are thwarted as planes full of desperate Americans and our allies are stuck on the ground in Afghanistan. They're also being denied permission to land in other countries. Please join me in hearing their pleas. Raise your voice and send up a prayer because they desperately need it. This is Candy O'Terry saying thank you so much for listening to the story behind her success.